Welcome to Lunch Break, a special weekly series of The Eternal Entrepreneur that gives you bite-sized pieces of wisdom on how to build a functional faith and business. Each episode unpacks a short, actionable topic you can put into practice this week. Let's get into it. Well, hello and welcome back. Thank you for joining me for Lunch Break. I am Pierce Brantley, co-host of The Eternal Entrepreneur. It is so good to be talking to you. I've missed you. I've missed creating content, but it's good to be back. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, attitudes. Attitudes govern which entrepreneurs will be successful and which will not. Attitudes are the underlying energy which move you from just starting out to accomplishing something, to seeing a goal realized. And it's especially important because I like to think of building a business like kind of getting a train moving. A train is big, it's heavy, but once you get the thing moving, it's really hard to stop it and it carries a lot of weight. But this is all accomplished through your perspective, which is crystallized, which is practically executed through the vehicle of attitudes. So I actually get asked a lot kind of how it is that I accomplish different things. And I, I don't say that as a brag. I say that because the question comes up very regularly. And so to kind of give you some background, you know, I'm an Enneagram 3. I'm extremely driven. And I say that, again, not as a brag. It's genetic. It's harder to turn me off than to turn me on, meaning I there's a thousand things I want to accomplish and I would say with full integrity, 95 to 98% of the things that I set out to do, I do do. And it's a lot of these things are not low bar things. So to kind of, so to give you some examples, sold a company age 26, was a VP multiple times at a young age uh, with companies that either sold themselves uh, or had nice exits, uh, had published a couple different books. Some self-published, some um, privately published. The privately published ones have been with top three publishers. Uh, so I've, I've had the pleasure of doing a lot of stuff, stuff that I'm very proud of. And again, I don't say any of this as a brag. Most, if not all of this stuff, I would have actually considered easy to do. Very easy to do. And there are two reasons for that. One is the umbrella of God's grace and his favor. And I don't say that as like, a, I want to check that box. Anyone who knows me, who knows my story, which I've told multiple times, knows that the grace of God in my life is what has allowed me uh, to um, uh, test and experience his goodness. And we could spend hours talking about that. And that's a hallmark of my life. Underneath that umbrella, is this mechanism of attitude. And it's so important as an entrepreneur because if you go into entrepreneurship of any kind uh, with the illusion that things are one, going to be accomplished quickly or that people are going to give you permission or that somehow the goal is going to achieve itself, you're going to be wrong on all three accounts and you're going to fail. You're going to fail hard, and then you're going to go blame people because of that failure. And thankfully, 
so far, I've never had to experience any of those things, but it's because of the way I break down attitudes. So someone really close to me was talking about how growing up, uh, someone in their life would tell them, hey, you know what? You just need to change your attitude. You ever been told that before? Hey, you just need to change your attitude. And they told me how discouraged they were because they didn't know the mechanism, the way they do to do that, because they were always told that when they were in a bad mood or when they had done something wrong or when they needed to change behavior. But they didn't know what the difference was between the good attitude and the bad attitude. It was kind of left up to them to change. So that's kind of what I think a lot of people struggle with is how do I change my attitude so that it's a good one? And the reason we do this is because anything that is good, that is worthwhile, is going to take time to accomplish. It's going to take time to execute against. Joe and I were talking about this just uh, this last Friday. And so you need a good attitude because it's going to give you longevity to um, withstand some of the challenges that come along the way. And best of all, they're going to make challenges uh, seem kind of easy to overcome. So kind of to reference two of the org- the uh, examples from earlier. So, so one of the first big contracts, if not the very first big contract I got came after kind of a repositioning of what I wanted to do. I came out of a really hard season. The Lord kind of gave me some vision for how to refocus my career. And having that vision was not enough to go and get the contracts that I wanted to go get. How many of you know vision is a North Star? It's not a rocket ship. You still need a vehicle to move you towards vision. So the contract that I won ended up being for a huge, huge company uh, now owned by Samsung. I even worked there for part uh, of my career. And... I kid you not, it took over 300 uh, cold calls, emails, resumes being sent in to win that contract. Over 300 attempts. And this happened over months and months of time. Day in, day out, sending, calling, emailing, nothing. Sending, calling, emailing, nothing. I think if I had to put a number to it, I used to know the exact number. I want to say it was like 317 attempts with months and months of people with tons and tons of dead ends. Eventually, however, won the contract and it changed the trajectory of my career. The other example is with uh, the book that I got published with a top three publisher. So it took... A couple years to write that manuscript. And by the way, this is not, um, you know, oh, I'm writing a book. This was me dedicated every single day, nearly writing this book out. Took over two years to get the thing published. And that was fast. Everyone in the industry told me that was extremely fast. Part of the barrier to entry in that to anyone who knows publishing is you have to have an agent that represents you. It's a lot like the movie industry. And, uh, by the way, anyone who wants to know about that, please feel free to email me. I'm happy to give advice to how the inside world of that works. But I say that because 
it took a very long time from the outside, it felt felt like to make that thing happen. And I actually got rejected, I want to say 26 or 27 times from different agents. Uh, most of them didn't call me back. A couple of them said, hey, uh, this is interesting, but no. A few of them said, I kid you not, there's one story. A guy said, Pierce, he said, I would love to work with you and you would love to work with me. He said, I only sign uh, authors that will guarantee both me and them a six or a seven figure advance. He said, you and I both know you're not that person. So call me back when you're that person. It's harsh. It's just the way it is out there. And so, you know, I just took that with a grain of salt and continued on. 27 no's. And by the way, agents will take you, uh, take three to six months to get back to you. They'll acknowledge you. And then a half a year later, they'll get back. It's crazy. But I got the book out there. It's helped thousands of people. I'm really, really proud of that. So I give you these two examples uh, because these were both kind of hard things and uh, I both I was able to see success by God's grace in both of them measured as it is. Now, the reason I was able to accomplish both of those things through prayer was through the vehicle of attitude. Now, attitude, the first principle of attitude for me is that attitude is not an emotion. There is no feeling that you can attach to having a good attitude. You'll never find attitude living in the emotion, living in the heart. Attitude does not live in the heart. And beyond that, I would even say that attitude is not a mental model either. Uh, I don't have to be in a good frame of mind to have a good attitude. She said, Pierce, well, if attitude is not in the heart and attitude is not in the mind, how do you have a good attitude to be able to kind of see out a goal so far away? So there's three things that go into that. We just talked about the first one. Attitude is not an emotion. Attitude is a decision. It's a posture. I'm leaning towards a goal and I don't let anything get in between me and that goal which means that the goal itself is the fuel to the attitude. That means you need a really good goal. And that means you need to believe in your goal. If you don't have a really good reason for your goal, when you get rejected for the 256th time with a contract, or you get rejected for the 25th time with an agent, or uh, the client that you've been going after for forever says, no, we went with someone else, or you get rejected for some other reason. It doesn't matter kind of what it is in your own business. If you take no for an answer, you're taking no for an answer because you do not believe in the aspirations of your goal enough. You just don't. And that's kind of the cold, hard truth of it. So how much of a dog are you going to be about holding on to the goal that you have? Your attitude is attached to the goal itself. So if you don't have a good goal, you're not going to have a good attitude. So that's kind of step one. Uh, the second is uh, leverage data. So you're going to get discouraged, which is going to affect your attitude. It's going to eat against your attitude, which remember is just an aspiration towards a goal. Uh, if you don't arm yourself with good data. So I give uh, this story about uh, fixing my wife's car 
because I think it's I think it's really funny. Um, she had gotten some fender bender damage, and we were getting some body work done on her car. And I didn't want to run it against insurance because it was too small. And so I'm looking for a body shop that will do it. And I find a place, and I go there, and the guy that fixes the car is honestly kind of neurotic. Um, he's smoking while he's talking to me, which doesn't, it's not, I'm not, it's not a moral judgment, but he's just, he's shaking and he's moving back and forth. He stops talking to me to talk to other people half a dozen times. Um, he loses his train of thought and he just, he's not giving me off vibes. They're saying, Hey, you're a trustworthy sort of guy. And then he leaves and for different reasons that are, you know, short-term escalations, not giving me a, a big vote of confidence. Uh, but by all accounts, when I look at his Yelp and I look at uh, the amount of business he had, I knew that based off of the data, he was the right person, even though he was not personally giving me trust. And this is hard for some people to kind of wrap their head around, but you do not necessarily need to trust um, the first impressions or the peripherals that come with the rejections that you're getting or the feedback that you're getting. You have to look at the consecutive amount of data that is available to you. So, you know, hundreds of five-star reviews, busy business, the guy's obviously doing something right. So I rejected what my first impression was and how I felt about the situation in favor of what the data told me. He got the job done uh, ahead of schedule, way better job and extremely uh, cheap. So that's a proof point. Uh, with uh, getting the book that I've referenced a few times uh, published before, you know, like I said, it takes sometimes up to six months to get a response from an email from an agent. That's very, that's normal. That would say that's par for the course. You might get some that are like three months, but generally speaking, you know, it's going to be half a year till they respond to, to your email. And then, you know, most of the time they're going to be no. And so, you know, how would you like after 20 or so, you know, rejections, you know, how are you supposed to feel? You're going to, if you don't have data, you're going to start to take that personally. Well, I heard this great story from uh, uh, JK Rowling, the, uh, the author of Harry Potter, and she was rejected uh, 27 times, I think was the number. It might've been 31, but it was 27 or 31. And I was like, oh, this isn't a talent thing. This is a numbers game. There are only so many agents with so many book categories, with so many manuscripts, with so much time. There's, uh, you know, there's seasons for publishing different categories. Uh, this is just a numbers game. This says nothing about me personally. There was another big author. I want to say it was Maxwell. Um, uh, but I might be wrong on that, but they also was right near 30. And then I start doing some research and typically across the board, you're going to get rejected about 30 times before someone accepts your manuscript. And I was like, Oh, okay. So like, this is just a number here. So until I've reached close to that number, if I re if I get past 30 rejections and still no one is taking interest in it, Maybe I need to start looking at the quality of what I've done. But until then, just take rejection as part of what comes with the territory and believe in the, what the work is enough that it doesn't matter if you get rejected. Sure enough, 27 uh, agents in and uh, I find someone who believes in it and they've been fantastic. 
same thing with the contract, actually. Uh, there's this interesting stat that for every $10,000 you're wanting to earn from something, you need to attach a month to that. So, you know, if you're going for a $100,000 deal, you, you know, statistically, you're going to look at 10 months to close a deal like that. Now, you might be able to speed that up. You might not. But again, data point, don't get discouraged if you're in month six and you haven't closed a big deal. Go at it for another four months. Just keep hammering the thing. And so the last principle in this uh, practically is that everything has a breaking point. Uh, and if you have that mindset, you will kind of know that eventually something has to give. And that thing that is going to give is not going to be you. Why? And going back to that earlier principle, your goal is high enough. I love the, um, with Jesus, when he talks about going to the cross, he says he scoffed the cross. He says he scoffed the cross for the joy that was set before him. That is so powerful because of that joy set before him, the obstacle in front of him was nothing, was nothing. And to me, that obviously is the highest kind of story that we can imagine of God going to the grave and then resurrecting himself and then us for new life with, with him. But it also just practically illustrates something. I mean, Jesus uh, was a loving guy. He was a gracious guy. He was also a pretty committed guy. And it helps me, you know, when I think about going after my own goals, that everything has a breaking point, meaning every wall that I hammer against has to break. Now, it might take time, and I might need to be cognizant of how much time it's going to take and not be disillusioned about that amount of time. But eventually, if it's important to me, I'm either going to re-architect the world in pers the pursuit of what it is I'm going after, or the world, meaning the systems and the things that are in the way of that goal, are going to eventually break down for me. It's just a matter of time. So these are kind of the three things that help me with having a really good attitude. One is attitude is never about your emotions. How you feel has nothing to do with your attitude. Uh, let data drive your attitude. Means get kind of educated about the data points that uh, are going to facilitate your accomplishment of those goals. And then lastly, uh, have a good sense of timing and know that everything eventually has to break. The last thing I'll say about this kind of three-step process is it needs to be filtered through Proverbs 16. I think it's verse one. And it says, commit your plans to the Lord so that your plans will succeed. Um, I believe God gives us agency on this earth to do what we want. A lot of times we get stuck and we've talked about this on what does God want me to do? That's not stewardship. God has already given you a life. The question is, how do you steward it in such a way that it brings glory to God? So it's flipping the lens a little bit. That being said, 
uh, I want everything I do to be with the Lord. I do. I don't want to do anything separate from him. And that doesn't mean that I necessarily uh, believe or expect God to bless every single thing that I do. But I do believe that God enjoys blessing us and enjoys partnering with us. He enjoys it. Keyword. But uh, in order for me to have the right posture towards what it is I do, at the very least, I should be involving him in it. Because sometimes... Uh, the successful thing to do is to reprioritize that goal. And there's been many times uh, when he's done that for me. Last story, uh, there was once a C-suite role that I really, really, really wanted. And I knew I was perfect for it. Um, I was very young, but <laughs> I gotten through five interviews uh, for this particular role. And uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, was praying for me. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, Pierce, do not rush to high places. And I go, what? Do not rush to high places. Okay. What does that mean? It means you are looking at this tangible kind of point as a definition of success when uh, you are circumventing a lot of the things that I want to do in your life. And that's a story for another time, but that was absolutely true. I knew the second he said that I wasn't going to get the role. I didn't get the role, but I'm so glad in perspective that I didn't. So dedicate your plans to the Lord and he will make them succeed, whatever that success looks like. Okay. This week, use this perspective, this model to check your goals, check your aspirations and in all things, think eternally. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and leave a quick review. When you do, it helps other entrepreneurs find this content and benefit from it too. See you next week.